Across the country and around the world. We are listening now to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio. TalkZone.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Strokes can be terrifying for their victims, but when one happens to a brain scientist, she considers it a remarkable gift. The fascinating interview is ahead. When the left hemisphere went offline, I could not speak and I could not understand language. But even though I lost half my mind, the other half of my mind was still blossoming. Then, most Americans are meat eaters. But how can we be sure animals are raised humanely and the food is safe to eat? For 40, 50 years, we've stopped paying attention to how our meat is being raised. We just want it cheap and we want it easy and convenient. And since we've been looking away, things have been not so good for the animals and the environment. Those two interviews and much more are coming your way on this week's InfoTrack. Stay with us. The show gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. The idea of having a stroke is terrifying to most people. Certainly, few would consider any benefit to having a stroke. But one woman now considers her brain hemorrhage and the resulting stroke a remarkable gift. She calls it a stroke of insight. Let's welcome Jill Bolte-Taylor, Ph.D., to InfoTrack. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Chris. Now, you're a brain scientist, and you've written a fascinating book titled My Stroke of Insight. The thing that's fascinating as you tell your story and you talk about how this unfolded for you, you didn't realize at first you were even having a stroke, did you? No, in the beginning, I had no idea. I woke up and I had a pounding pain behind my left eye, and I thought, okay, well, this is unusual because it was very unusual for me to experience any kind of pain. And I jumped onto my cardiac glider, which is a full-body exercise machine, and the first thing then that I noticed was I seemed to be witnessing myself having the experience instead of being the person having the experience. But I didn't realize that I was having a stroke until my right arm went completely paralyzed by my side. Perhaps one of the reasons you didn't think of stroke is you were pretty young when this happened, right? I was 37 at the time, which is very, very unusual. At the same time, it was a hemorrhagic stroke instead of an ischemic stroke. An ischemic stroke is when you have a blood clot that blocks the blood vessel in the brain. And I had a hemorrhage where a artery was directly connected to a vein, and the vein couldn't handle the pressure and popped right off. So it was caused by a malformation in the blood vessels in my brain. Now, you say in your book, My Stroke of Insights, having the stroke on the left side of your brain was really key to what unfolded and what you learned from the experience. Can you explain that? The left hemisphere is where most of us have our language center. So my ability to create a word like dog, dog is really a sound, but my brain is capable of A, creating that sound, and B, placing a meaning on it because of my left hemisphere. And when the left hemisphere went offline, I lost all that language, which relates my internal world to the external world. So I could not speak and I could not understand language. But at the same time, I then gained the ability of my right hemisphere, which thinks in pictures, and it's essentially running a videotape of the experience. 
So even though I lost half my mind, the other half of my mind was still blossoming. And it was about the present moment. So I gained this incredible experience of bliss and euphoria that I was alive at all, capable of having an experience. So really the process of recovery for me meant regaining function of that left hemisphere. And Jill, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but what that involved, I guess, is you had to relearn language and relearn all sorts of things that people take for granted as adults, right? Yes. On the morning of the stroke, I could not walk, talk, read, write, and I had no recollection of my life. So we really had to begin at the beginning of being able to create sound, understand language. I had to learn to read from scratch, which was really very difficult. So I had to learn everything as though I had been an infant in a woman's body. We're talking with Jill Bolte-Taylor, Ph.D., who is author of My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. Jill, as a brain scientist, you must have, in your studies and your learning, understood that the two halves of the brain function differently, but this was really a startling revelation to you when you realized what the separation really was like. It's true. You know, I kind of cognitively, theoretically understood the differences between the two halves of the brain. But when that left hemisphere went offline and I shifted away from any perception and understanding of my past life or my ability to relate to the external world, it was a complete shift in perception and conscious awareness. And in many ways, it's been a beautiful experience because although scientists have cognitively understood the differences, now they have someone who actually studied the brain who can verbalize what the experience was like, at least for me. From my perspective, I learned as much, if not more, about how the brain organizes information and how these two hemispheres blend together in order to create for us a single seamless perception of the world. Did you get back all of your childhood memories and all of that eventually? You know, that's a tough one because I don't think I would have remembered what my 10th year birthday cake looked like pre-stroke. And I certainly don't remember post-stroke. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to answer the question of what do I remember, what do I don't remember, because mm -hmm. if I don't remember it, I don't remember it. Just talking to you, it sounds like you've had a 100% recovery as far as speaking and thoughts and all of that. So yeah, that's no, terrific. Cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I'm 100% and back to teaching at the medical school level. There's a fairly high risk of stroke in our society, unfortunately. And I just wonder, could you share with us some of the signs of stroke, the warning signs, which you do have in your book? Yes. I list them very clearly so that people can understand from S-T-R-O-K-E. S stands for speech or any problems with language. T stands for tingling or numbness in the body. R stands for remember or any problems with thinking. O stands for off balance or problems with coordination. K stands for killer headache. And E stands for eyes or any problems with vision. And stroke is an emergency, and it's the number one disabler in our society. So if you're thinking that you're experiencing a stroke, call 911. If you don't want to call 911 because you're just not sure, call a friend. Reach out and call a friend as quickly as you can so that you've made a connection with someone in the external world. In your book, you talk about what was happening when you were trying to get some help and you'd realized you were having a stroke. And the longer you wait, the more difficult it can be to get help. That's right. On the morning of the stroke, even though I could hear myself clearly inside of my mind saying, this is Jill, I need help, 
when I tried to speak, woo, 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 woo came out of my voice. Mm. I didn't know that I couldn't speak until I tried, and by that point, it was really too late. In terms of the lifestyle one leads, does that have any effect in terms of the risk of stroke, or is it something where you can just, I guess in your case, it was just a congenital defect that happened? Yeah, for me, it was a malformation, but one of the things about the arteries inside of the brain is that they're completely transparent so that you can actually see the blood in them. The walls of the blood vessels are very thin, so it doesn't take much pressure difference at all in order to have some type of neurological phenomenon at the level of the brain. So you need to watch your weight. Cholesterol is going to be a factor. Smoking is a factor. How much exercise are you getting is a factor. So, you know, when we say you really need to pay attention to taking care of your body, it's because of what's going to happen at a cellular level of breakdown if you don't. And stroke is number one in our society, as I mentioned. Jill, for somebody who is maybe observing someone else and might be concerned that the other person is having a stroke, are there any tests they can do? I've heard one of them is to ask the person to smile. Yes, there are some things that you can do. Smiling is important because it lets you know whether or not some of the cranial nerves in the face are working. Raising the eyebrows, when they try to raise the eyebrows, do both of the eyebrows go up or does just one or do they not go up at all? Have them speak full sentences. Have them tell you what they had for breakfast. See if they're able to communicate verbally. Have them raise both arms up to see if there's any difference or paralysis on one side of the body. And let them walk and see if they walk normally or if they're having a problem with coordination. And again, if somebody is showing some kind of sign, some kind of massive confusion, that's an emergency. Someone needs to call 911 and get this person some help. The book is My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. Fascinating reading. The author, Jill Bolte-Taylor, Ph.D., and she has a website you can visit at drjilltaylor.com. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was really interesting. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Next, are you a carnivore? We'll tell you how to eat meat that's safer, healthier, and more humane. Coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this.